Welcome for Left 4 Dread, a.k.a. the Theo... Theo Crane <laughs> Fan Club episode. Episode 18. We are yes. both very tired and delirious, so bear with us. Uh, Ryan, what are we doing today? Today we are talking about The Haunting of Hill House, the not the original movie, not the book, but the Netflix show that just dropped that I binged all of the all 10 episodes in like two days. So good. Yes, I, I did it. I did it in like two or three days. It, it's just, oh my God. It, it's just like, a, it's like a perfect time sink. It's just like, oh. <laughs> and then you, and then, you, then you find out it's like 5 a.m. It's like, oh, well, well this was worth especially it. Especially because each one of those episodes was 50 minutes long. Yeah, I was not expecting. I that. wasn't either, but I'm I'm really happy they did, especially because I think I think it was episode episode six where they did that really. Lo- yes, it was that oh, long yes. okay, take. Let's single cut sequence. Oh my gosh! I know, I know, I I know. Like we should probably do some context, but screw it. Let's talk about episode six. That episode was comprised of like three long cuts. Like three, and then I was, I was, eagle eyeing the 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 like I was I was eagle eyeing the screen just to see if they did any super clever cuts. And I I mean I'm not I'm not like a cinematographer. I'm not a DP. Whoever's the DP on that episode, they are a god. Cause <laughs> like each cut, there was only three of them, I think, and each one was like twenty minutes long. It was insane, and like the amount of technical know-how and moving parts that you had to do like like especially where like the camera pans 360 and then like i don't know like nell's there and then she's not there they replaced her with with lee's body or like there's like a ghost here and then she's in a different place and like oh my gosh like i don't i really i would really really want to see like a behind the scenes making of just that episode and just, I wanted this, I, I hope they ran cameras of all the crew, like, setting up those, those three shots. Because, wow, that, that episode, that was t- too good. The entire episode was so fucking anxiety-inducing. Mm-hmm. But it was amazing. And the and then the ending just broke your heart. It's just like, oh, no. <laughs> the ending, Nell's yes. fucking episode broke my heart. Yeah. Nell yes. broke my fucking heart. She like I, ripped it out Ryan, of my chest. Ryan, like you had so much Schrodinger the other day because cause I was like, I love Nell. And then because you were ahead of me of, by like three or four episodes. And then I think this was like episode three. Because yeah. I couldn't, I literally yeah. could not stop watching. <laughs> I think this is episode three or two. I think it was, it was one of the very, very early ones. And I was saying to you, yeah, I would say to you, like, oh my god, right, I love Nell so much, she's my favorite character, and then, and then she died, spoilers, I was like, I was like, no, why is Nell dead, and then you just put, like, devil emojis in the chat. I did, oh my god, I did, okay, so I just found it, you were like, you were like, you were like, why is Nell a ghost, ah, she was my favorite, I just wrote devil faces, like, literally my only response, and then I wrote, um, at 10.56, in the morning on a Saturday. So that's that's how badly I needed this show in my life. I wrote, I just watched episode four. Oh my God. And then you responded two hours later with, oh snap, I'm at the start of episode three. <laughs> 
And then I wrote, just finished Nell's episode, so heartbreaking. You wrote, oh no, Nell, I can't. And meanwhile, this is like, this is like two in the afternoon, eight at night. Yeah. And at eight at night, I was like, I'm halfway through episode six. I I was telling Ryan, I was telling Ryan we should live tweet this show because we were just so freak, we were just freaking out. I think, I think one of the first things I said to you when I was done with this series was, oh my God, I feel like I can breathe again. Yes. Yes. Cause oh my, like, especially. This this show is so fun. I need to read this book. Like I'm going. Yes. I I just started reading a thriller book, so it's like gonna it's gonna have to take a backseat to literal one book I started. The book I have after that, but I'm going to read it, and then I'm gonna watch the old ass movie, and I wanna see how it compares to the way they approach this Netflix series. Yeah, so uh, I think this is a good time to backtrack a little bit and provide some yes. context. So, um, the haunting of Hill House was originally a uh, a gothic horror novel uh, written in 1959 by Shirley Jackson. Um, and this was a huge, I guess, like, crash course history lesson for, for us, at least for me, because I, I did not know. It's, like, regarded as one of the most popular and beloved ghost stories in of all time in, in like, American literature. Um, and... It was really well known for relying on, like, not so much horror, but, like, psychological thriller kind of stuff. And, uh, like, uh, and, and it was really pioneering and, like, eliciting, uh, eliciting, like, visceral reactions from the reader and setting up really cool, complex uh, interpersonal narratives and relationships. Um, and, like, it was also like, a very, very character-driven di- story and you see that all in this in the the netflix series i mean i still haven't read the book or seen the the two films that were based on the book um but i i was i've been told that one of the major differences between the book and the tv show um is that uh unlike on the the book the all the characters are like different people and uh in the show it's based on a family the family of the cranes who move into this house um so like the basic the basic uh premise is that uh the haunting the tv show um um it flips between the past and the present of uh the the crane family who i i forget what when exactly it was when they first moved into the house but the crane family uh moved to I would say like the nineties or something like that because it had been what ten twenty years. I think it was like at least twenty years. Yeah, it was like twenty twenty. Actually, maybe it was like twenty twenty two years since they had lived in that house, and everything was fairly modern. So I'll say like late nineties. Oh, also, in case this isn't obvious for everyone, fucking spoilers. Spoilers, spoilers. If you have not seen, it, I mean, we're already spoiled. Well, I mean, oh, no. we, okay. yes, we did, yes. and <laughs> but if you're still listening, you should, you can pause it, and then and then yes, pause Wait it. Wait till and... you're done. Exactly, it's nine nine episodes, fifty minutes each. You can binge in the weekend. Um, but yeah, anyway, I did it. You do it. Yes, do it. Do it right now. Um, so they, this family, the Cranes, they move into this home. The mom and dad, um. They make a living flipping houses and reselling them, and this is going to be their last major house. Uh, so they they can make enough money during the summer 
to build their permanent home. Um, and this this is this is Hill House. Uh, it's of it's very notorious for being haunted, and the story switches between the past and the present, where all these weird hauntings happen when the the, the kids were kids and the and um, the when things were still okay ish in the beginning, and then some terrible tragedy happens, and in the future we see how the past is coming back to haunt them and and how mysterious forces come into play where like hill house is just creeping back into their lives and uh the main the main the main uh uh conflict that sparks everything and and it's like a framing device of the episodes and the plot even though it's all told out of order in a really ingenious way is the death of Nell or Eleanor, and she's uh, she's one of the youngest. She, and, well, she has a she has a twin brother, but Nell's like technically the youngest in the family. Um, so yeah, so that's the pitch. Yes, uh, Nell. So Nell, um, she reminds me a lot of um, uh, River Tam from Firefly, where um, she like it's clear that she has like something, something like some like um, like. Maybe not so much a mental illness, but like something going on mentally that makes life for her hard. But she's still she's still like very savant. She's very savvy. She's everyone. I think people don't give her as much credit as they think. I mean, she's she's because she, she's very connected to uh, the supernatural, and she knows far more than everyone else uh, um, th- thinks she does. And they take they just push her aside well each each one of these uh siblings has something unique about them and they're and i want this to be like one of the last things we talk about but there is this wonderful theory going around about the crane siblings that i really want to unpack at the very end of this episode okay I have not heard this theory, so I'm super excited. Well, you might have. Okay. You might have. But I found it today, and I found it really, like, a really incredible representation of modern horror. So I was really excited to come across that article. Also, every single article we reference, or even if we don't, just things that I've sort of collected preparing for this episode, I will include in the show notes because a lot of them are fucking fascinating. Like, one of them is spotting every single one of the ghosts in every episode. That was There's in the so background. many. I so definitely many caught one before the article came out. But only did I... No, I caught two before the article came out. And then I was like, oh, I saw that one and I saw that one. Cool. The rest of them, not so much. I've caught only maybe like two as well, but yeah. Yeah, so any article that we sort of reference, I'll make sure is in the show notes per discussion ramblings. Before I guess we can just let's go through the cats because like this this story is so character driven, um um and so let's just go through so starting with the the um Michelle M- M- Michael I don't know this Mikhail Mikhail Hussman as Stephen Crane so he's the eldest son of the family 
he's um as a grown man he's an author and he got his start uh his career start in uh, by writing a book uh about the experiences of the hauntings in hill house um and as young steven he's played by paxton sickleton uh you have uh carla Gugino as olivia crane the mother of the house who's a designer uh you have henry thomas as uh the the younger hugh crane uh the father of the family who's the builder of the house um elizabeth riser as shirley crane harris or cheryl uh, she's the eldest daughter, and in the present, Cheryl, Cheryl, like okay, so Cheryl, she's uh, she owns a mortuary or funeral home with her husband, and her entire story of how she was inspired to become a mortuary mortician is so, it's so haunting and crazy, and 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 like Ryan, do you want to explain? Do you want to you want to give some context of how she became a mortician? So when their mom dies by committing suicide after. A twist I didn't see fucking coming. I was like, oh, holy crap, but we'll unpack that later. The ki- All of the kids sort of put them, are, are dealing with their mom's death in their own way. And Cheryl coming to grips with her mom's death as a young girl is being mirrored by a boy who's grieving for his grandma. And they're trying to justify having a wake and he's like, well, I don't need to remember her because Grammy comes and sits on my bed every night. Yeah, and then he remarks about how he saw her again, but he didn't like the way he saw her. She had no teeth, she had no hair, she had this. And she sort of rationalizes it for him. Like, maybe there was a time when you saw her in the hospital and she was missing this, she was missing this, and he starts to nod and she's like, well, what I do is I fix them so that they are as you remember them. So you don't have to remember them like that. It sort of replaces all of these bad memories. And when Sherwin, baby Cheryl, is dealing with her mom's death and she can't walk up to the open casket, much like this little boy, there's a man there that says, I'll go up with you. And when she sees her mom's body, she goes, oh my God, you fixed her. My heart shattered when I heard that, I was like, oh my god, that's why you got into the business. Mm-hmm. And even prior uh, prior to that, Cheryl had... Well, I mean, her mom's death was traumatic enough, but uh, her first real experience with death was she found this litter of kittens that were abandoned, and uh, she tried taking care of them, but they all died. And that was like her first experience with death and then i don't know if it was real or or like hill house just screaming with her head but these kittens like she thought they were a lot no I, th- I think they were well i don't know i guess that's it's up in the air but when these dead kittens uh when she found them and she thought they were actually alive because something was moving in their mouth and bugs started to crawl out and it's like oh no oh oh well that was just the one kitten but that's sort of how she understood that they were dead. I remember the first time I went to an open casket wake and Theo in a later episode makes a comment about how she goes you know in the movies it says that they look like they're sleeping that's bullshit because they just look like they're fucking dead and she's not kidding and I understand I I have my own feelings about death and all that crap but as a child going to an open casket wake is really fucking traumatizing because Theo's right. It does not look like they're sleeping. They look 
dead because a kid knows what sleeping looks like. They will look for a rise and fall of a chest. They're not going to see it. They do not look like they're asleep. And if it's a loved one, it's extremely fucking traumatizing. Yeah, I've only... Well, I've been to... Like, the first open casket funeral I went to was, like, super young. Like, I could barely remember it. But one of the more recent ones, my grandma died, um, uh, like, summer 2017. So I think that was, like, the most recent time. Or, I, I mean, I guess it was the first time where I was, like, you know, really cognizant of what was going on, like... It, it, your Ryan's right. It's, uh, it's, it, it's, it's, she wasn't, it didn't, she didn't look like she's sleepy. She looked like they like, made like a wax figurine out of her. And it's like, cause they pumped her with chemicals and they did makeup. And it's like, it's like the, unca- uh, it's like, it's the uncanny valley. You know, it's like, it's real. Like I could see like, I mean, she did, they, 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 they look alive, but you know, the human brain can tell like what, like, I don't know. Well, because they, they with makeup, they, like, put color back in the face and the lips and everything like that because they don't... Like, I understand why they do it, and I understand the process, and I find the idea of being a mortician fascinating. And I think that giving that back to a family that needs it in the way that Cheryl wants to accomplish all of that, I think that's great. I think being a mortician is a really phenomenal and unique uh line of work but i and she's a mortician that does a lot of pro bono work yeah yeah that comes up a lot but (laughs) the one thing that i would never be able to do that cheryl does is do it to a loved one like from my own family i i don't know how she compartmentalized any of that to do it and you do see her like all all the rest of the her yeah, the rest of her family was like, that's a bad idea. We There's other good people. And, and she was like, she's family. We have to, I, I have to do it. I have to fix her. It's like, oh, Cheryl. I mean, they're, each one of these characters is fucking heartbreaking in their own right. And we'll get to all of that. Like each one of their episodes, it explains so much. The only episode that kind of bothered me because I wanted, I feel like we didn't get enough substance that we did with the rest of them was Luke. Yeah, so we can, we can move on to Luke. Luke... Um, I was telling Ryan when we were live messaging each other, um, I love Luke. Luke, Luke and Nell were my first two favorite characters. And then Theo came in. I was like, oh, Theo, I love you. Um, but uh, Nell and Luke are, are, um, are twins. And Luke is, um, the elder of the twins, but only, only by like 30 seconds. And, um, as an adult, he struggles with addiction. And I think... I thought this is how I read it. Like he was just, he was never, he never fully recovered from the traumatic experiences of the hauntings. And like the ghost seemed to still follow him around as an adult. So he used drugs to, um, like escape. Is that, am I reading that right? Yeah. Or, or did he just get into drugs? Uh, I read it. I read it. I read it that way too, but also, so I don't know if I've said this on the show before, but I think I've definitely said this to Chris, like in private conversations. I love twins as a trope in movies and books and television because they always have that like twin thing. Whatever that thing is, it's a thing because you guys are twins. That that hidden connection. And here, and here it's like, it's uh, like the... Here it's visceral and it's fucking real. 
when Nell dies, every sibling feels it in their own way. They, they all wake up the same time, like 3 or 3 in the... But Luke is the only one that has a very real physical reaction to it. Like he couldn't breathe and it's like his neck it was so stiff. He couldn't breathe, his neck hurt. And then as that day progresses before he finds out that Nell's not there, he's cold, his legs are stiff. And at this point, we've already seen like... She's in a freezer. She's being worked on. So we know where she is at the stages that Luke is feeling all of this. But it's like he knows on some level. They always knew things about each other. They always believed each other because of this weird little twin thing that they had. And it makes it that much more gut-wrenching what this TV show does to this fucking family. They, they really sell it well. Like, I remember... It makes me wish I was a twin. Uh, <laughs> we, we will... <laughs> In some, like, really weird way, I kind of, like, wish I was a twin so that I could, like... Not because I would want my twin to, like, ever feel pain whenever I felt pain. But it's that idea that you're, like, biologically, you're never really alone if that twin thing really exists on any kind of level. Besides the molecular. Okay, well, Ryan, we'll, we'll get Elon Musk on the phone. We'll clone a body for you. And then, no, and no, then, and, and I, then. <laughs> at this stage in my life, I don't think it's a good idea to have a twin. <laughs> I'm talking like maybe like a separated at birth situation. Okay, yes. A long lost twin that you just found through the power of the interwebs. Yeah, maybe I have a twin out there somewhere. Y'all, if you see someone that, well, you guys have no idea what I look like, but Chris, if you see someone that looks like me running around, take a photo. <laughs> yes, I'll find your doppelganger and then we'll do testing experiments. <laughs> I feel like, I feel like a twin and a doppelganger are very different though. This is true. I feel like everybody has a doppelganger in this world because there's obviously a glitch in the matrix. Okay, but then, but okay, we'll find a doppelganger and through medical science technology, we'll make them their twin. You mean plastic surgery? Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> the only person that doesn't have a doppelganger and a twin is Keanu Reeves because I'm convinced he has found this secret of eternal life. Oh yeah, he's immortal. He's, he's an fucking immortal, immortal right? Yeah. That guy lives forever? Okay, just It's great, it's great. Um... Yeah, but going back to Ryan's point, um, that a lot of I, 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 I do feel like they could have fleshed out Luke's story a bit more. Just a little bit more. Because a, a lot of Luke's story was a reaction to the events of Nell. I mean, yeah. which is natural because they're twins. But, um, I mean, all we really... You watched him struggle with addiction, but there was no light. Yeah, we didn't really know how he got into addiction. I, I assumed... That because there was that one super tall ghost with the bowler hat and the cane, he was my favorite ghost. I figured that... Oh, no, that wasn't my favorite ghost. Oh, I loved him so much. I figured that that ghost um, uh, was constantly following him for, like, his entire life. And that's why he got into drugs, just so he could, like... Numbers. Well, that's why he did that counting thing. Yeah, like, that's When too. he wasn't... I think you're right, because on some level, when he wasn't high, and he was counting, and he was doing one, two, three, four, five, six, seven... The ghost would follow him, but backwards. That was so cool! <laughs> it was so creepy, I love it. I'm not kidding, I honestly felt like I could breathe again when this entire series was done. Like, so good, but, like, constantly... Just, like, not breathing... <laughs> This show knew how to, it it really really knew how to pace, 
Um, and like the pacing was like, incredible. I never thought it dragged. I never thought yeah, that it got and, slow. And it knew when to scare you and when to like let you go and then pull you back in. Like oh, oh yeah, definitely. My favorite ghost. There's a tie. One of them was so heartbreaking that it made me love her. And then the other one was so fucking twisted it made me love her. So they're both they're both a tie for me. One of them was the bent neck lady. Yes, yes. Oh my god. We will get we will we will get to that. We will get to that. I cried. I fucking I was sobbing, sobbing, like tears streaming down my face. I was so sad. And then the other one was the I think her name was Poppy. Pat Patsy. Pat Pat the uh, Pat Patsy. I'll find the name on I'll find the name on IMDb. But the flapper chick. Yes, but she's like roaring roaring twenties redhead. But she she was my favorite because she was so fucking delusional. She was fucking sick in the head. She was delusional and twisted. I guess theory crafting time was she like the main? Well, okay. Well, there's the mom too. So is Olivia andor Pat? Whatever, let's call her, let's call her Patty. I don't know. I don't know her name. Call her, I called her Poppy because she's a redhead and because Poppy's a red, but I don't think that's her name. Okay, let's call her Poppy. So was Olivia like the main spirit of the house or Poppy? Because Poppy like seemed most cognizant and sentient. Is she, is she, is she like the manifest, corporal manifestation of Hill House or Hill House is just like... No, we saw the manifestation of Hill House at the very end. Remind me to get back to that, but we saw the manifestation of Hill House at the very end of the show. Poppy's just like unusually as unusually active ghost. I mean, I guess Olivia too, but Poppy just seemed more... Well, don't forget the bent neck lady was there for Nell literally every time she closed her eyes and went to sleep. That is true. Oh, God. Okay. I don't know. I, f- I just feel like Poppy is like the mini boss. If, if this was a video game, she would be the mini boss and then the Hill House entity itself is like the final boss. Uh, But yeah, so Luke, yeah, Luke, Um, like going back to the thing before, I don't think they're, they could have teased that a little bit more. Um, we we seen sips and pieces of his backstory where he would interact with this girl named Abigail that no one seems to, no one else seems to see or notice. And um, the one time where he got super spooked out when he got um, into the basement um, through the dumb the dumb waiter. And, which is also tied to Theo's story. Speaking of which, let's talk about, or Ryan, you should talk about Theo, our favorite character. Actress that plays her is the girl from Hush. Kate Seigel, why are you so amazing? And there are just so many things about her representation on screen that I, I loved. You find out what this house has sort of given to her as like a curse slash gift. You find out that she took psychiatry out that sort of rose out of her childhood experiences. But okay, so Theodora plays a lesbian character on a TV show like this. And there's no grand coming out. It's actually quite casual. The family is fine with it. Mm -hmm. They they played it to some really charming comedic effect. And I, I thought it was really sweet how... Like her coming out moment wasn't it was just it wasn't really like some big deal it was just like oh that, uh, like Nell Nell and Stephen found out and they shared a laugh with it and it's and it's at Nell's wedding yeah at Nell's wedding with with the bridesmaid and <laughs> her bride her maid of honor or 
was having they heard sex noises coming from behind the thing and they waited around because they thought it was one of the guys and when theo comes out they're like oh we just we didn't know that you liked and theo was like that i was into bridesmaids and we're like yes! yes and then and then like they all hugged and it didn't make a be- they didn't dwell on it and they just instantly accepted her it's like yes this is how you do LGBT representation on, on TV. This is great. Oh, yeah. And even Cheryl's moment of figuring out what was happening. Oh, yeah. She, she was she's staring and then like and then Theo and the, the maid of honor are dancing together and then and then like uh, then uh, Steve and Nell are creeping and watching Cheryl and then Cheryl like rap like starts tapping her husband and it's like, oh, that's that's it's very sweet. It was very funny. Which was sort of a precursor to the fact that Theo is living in Cheryl's guest house. Hill House itself left a scar of sorts on all of these kids. Nell was extra sensitive and perceptive, like Luke, to the things that were- Like visually speaking. That were going on in the house. Theo was left with this gift- Kinetic clairvoyance? Or like- Yeah! She was very, like, pers- like- clairvoyant perception like she knows things just by touching them so she decided to put that to good use in her career which okay we're gonna unpack this she became a child psychologist probably because she needed one when she was a kid too and she is a girl that comes in and starts telling her about mr smiley and her foster parents are genuinely concerned because they're like well all of our kids sort of have an issue and then they sort of adjusts and everything's fine. But this is taking longer than usual. We don't know what's wrong. And she says, well, I don't, I don't like, I'm having a problem because of Mr. Smiley. Well, who's Mr. Smiley? The guy that lives under the house. And she does all this by showing dolls and basement under the house and whatever. And she says like, it's this guy's smiling, but it's not a happy smile. It's like. And Theo takes off her glove that she wears me at every, because everything goes back and forth. And for once, it's not a theme that irked me. I don't mind that it, it flip-flopped the way it did because it almost made sense in a very strange way. Uh, Theo took off her glove to touch this girl and she was like, I felt nothing. Like, she put up so many walls for this that this is who she created. So Theo stops by the house to try and figure everything out. Well, no, well before that, she was in her bed or she was sleeping, and then she woke up, and, like, Mr. Smiley was there, and it's like this... Oh, yeah, and she oh, fucking woke up, and Mr. Smiley was, was at the end of the bed. It was bed. like this, <gasps> like, his face was, like, a really black, like, a ugly black-brown raisin, and, like, and like the wrinkles form this super creepy grin. It's like, oh, my God. And, uh, and then, at, then she decides to go to the foster home's house and, and they're like, oh, I, we didn't know you made fa- house calls. And she, and she was like, well, I just want to feel out the headspace of the, of the daughter. And she goes down to the basement and, um, she senses something on the couch and then she lies down on the couch. Trigger. Okay. Well, hold on. Before, before we, before we unpack this, I'm just going to insert like quick trigger warning here because there is a simulation of sexual assault of a minor, of a child. And, uh, that was a little hard for me to go to. I fucking broke down during this episode, during at least that moment of that episode. And then 
Theo, she, once she's on the couch, she goes sort of goes through the motions that the daughter, I'm assuming, goes through. And while she looked up, yeah, there's on the there's, on the ceiling, there's a wood panel and the wood grain, like just like the natural varnishing and the the, the pattern on the grain, it looks like a creepy smiley man. And and then we just see we see Theo like in a matter of seconds experience all like the same visceral disgusting experiences of molestation however many times it may have happened to this poor girl and then theo you know taking taking charge like a boss she she calls like social services she's like well she shakes she shakes the father's hand and then she realizes oh you fuckhead she gets across the street sits in the car and she's like just take my word for it have i been wrong before and then and then like as she suspected the dad the foster dad cracked as soon as the police came so oh but Theo, Theo is... Theo, why do you break my heart? Theo, Theo's the best. She is a fucking force to be reckoned with in this film. So we're almost done with the cast. Uh, we have uh, one of our most central characters. Well, at least like the character that kind of kickstarts it off. Uh, Victoria Pedretti uh, plays Eleanor or Nell. And I love Nell. She's Luke's twin and like as Ryan said, like she's also very psychic psychically sensitive. So like she can see a lot of she she has a more visual medium of of like paranormal powers and um she all her life she's been haunted by this ghost called the 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 bent neck lady and almost everyone in the house dismisses her. Um, but, oh my god, like, the twist that they did to reveal who and what the Betneck lady was is just, like, it's just one, it's just a masterpiece in writing. Do we want to, do we want to do that now? Do we want to just, like... I, we have okay. to, we have to, it's so, so good. So, during Nell's episode, she goes back to Hill House to kill herself. Which was, like, episode, end of episode one. So, when we finally get to that point, and we start to explore all of that, Nell does exactly, literally follows in her mom's footsteps. When she hangs herself and she comes off the stairs she doesn't just drop and hit the floor it's like she transcends time because what you find out is that like the house itself breaks time it like it like distorts because what you what you find out about the bent neck lady is that the bent neck lady is actually adult nell like fall literally falling and hanging through time at various points in nell's childhood and adolescence so when baby nell is laying down on the couch and she sees the bent neck lady laying over her saying, no, 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 no. It's grown up Nell. It was so tragic and so heartbreaking. There is that element with all of these ghosts. And I think it makes them beautiful in a way. And it makes the show precisely what it is. And I think there's something to be said for that. It's... This is a perfect amalgamation of cast, writing, director, cinematography. And I don't think it could have been achieved in a movie. I think they did it the right way. This is like an excellent exercise in serial television. And it's just like... I hope, I hope that there's a film class out there that decides to study this show. I hope so too. Because when I was in film class, I would have killed for something like this. Right? Um... Yeah, so with Nell's story, we see how truly messed up the Hill House is. Like, it, 
it it's it's an anomaly of time and space so not only does it distort time it literally distorts physical space and one of the enduring mysteries of the house is the red room there's one room in the top floor of the house where no one seems to be able to get in a lot of the dad's um story is trying to get into the red room and how the red room is affiliated with the final night that they were in the house and the great tragedy that plagues the memories of the children and the dad and we see what truly happened and all the cascading side effects that we saw or teased in in the prior episodes uh and the red room is literally like this space controlled by the heart or like the brain of the house that it it uses to lure in more victims and more souls into the house and it's a it's a it's a room that can transform um based on the house's whim and like that reveal at the end where it transformed to different places like it transformed it w- it was Luke's treehouse it was i think Theo's dance room and Steve's game room when Cheryl and Nell were when they go back to that scene where they're at the door and they're trying to figure everything out like how to open it and it goes from that to inside the room where where Theo was practicing her dancing and she thought it was Luke on the outside or the or or, or the viewer thought it was just some random ghost trying to get, get in cuz you see the doorknob shake and on the other side you see like footsteps like uh like shadows and you're like oh what is going on and then you realize oh my god the cranes are haunting each other this hill house is amazing and i slowly started to figure it out when adult steven and the dad went back to the house and he's like there was never a tree house and he's like what are you talking about luke and i played in there all the time luke was in there all the time and he's like we were supposed to be there for eight weeks while we flipped this house when would i have had time to build you guys a tree house oh and then it begins to dawn and steve's like what and then and then i was like connection i was like half light bulb number one and then when the dance scene thing happened and this and that and then the poppy when she was talking to Liv and talking about the reading room i was like oh my god i get it i was like it was the treehouse and the reading room and the family room and as soon as i started making all those connections the show started checking off every single one of those boxes i was like this is fucking great i i did not call any of that i was just so floored like oh my god it's just <laughs> the show i i was sitting there like home alone style like aghast with wonderment i was like oh this is fucking great yeah it was it was too good uh jeez. i'm just i'm really afraid i'm really afraid that if they make a season two which apparently they might be <sighs> This was just so good. I, I read... Okay, so I, I know we're skipping around a bunch, but uh, yeah, so there's a lot of... I, we're too excited to keep this I know, it's in, fine. Like, in line, and it's fine. Like, I, I just hope that everyone has watched this and you're sharing in the excitement with us because we're all over the place because there's just so... There's just so much... Is so much to unpack. Um, but with uh, with Rise Point, so there's been a bunch of news articles because like uh, House of Haunting Hill has just been uh, oh my, wow <laughs> the haunting of Hill House. Wow, I'm tired. Um, it's been crushing records and getting rave reviews. There's been a lot of interviews, so there's a lot of interest in doing a season two. And uh, right before we started recording, uh, I saw some headlines, or and I can link. I could 
compile those articles, but apparently there's a lot of speculation that Hill House is going to be Netflix's answer to American Horror Story. So it's like another, it's going to be like a, another, a flagship horror anthology series. And I, I forget it was like the writer or the, is someone involved with the, someone major involved in the production was saying that the story of the cranes is over, which I, which I approve. I, I don't think if, if there's going to be a sweet sequel, I think the crane story was really nice wrapped up in the end and I don't I don't I think if they tried to extend it I, I'm sure they could find a way but I I, I think I'll be I was sat I was so satisfied with how the, the story of the cranes ended I was I was too I I don't know if I like and this is coming from a fan of American Horror Story I don't know if I like this idea that it's Netflix's answer like I under, I understand what you're saying I just don't know if that's correct only because this seems to be very real and American Horror Story is very much all the way on the fantastical level of things especially because Ryan Murphy does take a lot of liberties sometimes those liberties really pay off because they does make for great quality television and sometimes it doesn't that being said I would love to not try even try and equate the two at all or even say that one is like the answer to the other only because I feel like I feel like Hill House is such like a precious little cinnamon roll that I like need to protect at all costs because it was just so good I think it's more so it's, it's like the news cycle trying to have trying to find buzzwords it's like oh what, like horror anthologies and horror is really big so I don't know maybe it's maybe it's just a little bit clickbaity and I agree um it's also it's also like a really punchy tagline to generate interest it's it's strange what Hill House is one one of these shows where like I would be really interested and curious to see what a sequel would look like but I think I'm just wholly satisfied I would be completely okay if they just leave it at that I would too I mean I I, I feel I felt the same way about Castle Rock when it ended they set you up for a sequel but I hope that the sequel because there are nods to so many things within the whole universe of Stephen King I really hope that the sequel sort of leaves not the characters but the what drove the main characters the main storyline of season one i really hope they leave that alone and season two becomes about somebody else and something else because there are so many options that you could deal with and i would really love to see what happened in season one just sort of get it like buried and i feel the same way about hill house but then again i don't unless it ties into hill house you can't you can't call it the haunting of hill house anymore like they tied up everything in terms of like sequel or franchise branding it makes it really difficult because like it just gets far further away from the source material and i know some liberties were taken with this series um and i mean i don't i'm not familiar with the book i don't know if there was like a follow-up or a sequel to the books or or if the author wrote other books in the same universe or reference it in other works. Maybe season two could be another, uh, like the focus of another haunted house or uh, or something else that's spoopy. And maybe Hill House just happens to be a blip within the same universe. I, I guess I guess I I would like a sequel, but I don't I don't I don't really I don't really even need one because this movie was or this this show was just so well executed. I don't want a sequel. Okay, two things I want to touch on. Number one. The dad. Uh, older dad, older version of dad played by Timothy Hutton. Uh, I didn't reference that, but yeah. Uh, Dick Bag, yes. A-plus casting for all of them. I mean, A-plus casting all around, but especially on the father. His end was, I wouldn't say as gut-wrenching as the kids. And maybe that's because we weren't supposed to get emotionally invested in him by the end, because 
throughout the entire series, there is some like air of speculation that he killed his wife. And the kids, I feel like, believed that to an extent until he and Steven are in the car and he tells him the truth. We're gonna unpack the last episode. And then after we unpack the last episode, I wanna talk about this theory that I found online today that I love. Um, okay, so in the last episode, everything sort of comes together. That's when you figure out about the red room being all of these rooms for the kids. That's when Nell explains everything to them. We see that the Hill House has drawn the family back against their wishes or like they, the Hill. So like the the, the Hill House took Nell um, and then Luke uh, in a fit of vengeance goes to Hill House to try to burn it down. And then the rest of the family follows. So there's also a family that's sort of interwoven throughout all of this that works on the grounds and they never stay past sundown. Yeah, it's like Miss, Miss, the Dudleys. Yes. And between the Dudleys and Luke's little friend Abigail that gets consistently mentioned throughout every episode. And everyone assumes it's like an like imaginary friend of Luke. I thought that Abigail was a ghost throughout this entire thing because she was dressed in older clothing and you never heard her speak and Luke was the only one that saw her at the end of the episode at the end of the series Liv the mom says she's going to go to her sisters and you find out that she doesn't actually go to her sisters because Poppy the flapper ghost has been twisted up and we heard the story of Poppy and how she was a little crazy has been twisting Liv's mind saying like you have to protect your babies yeah, and prior to this, like, Liv has been getting more and more... She's like, Liv, uh, Liv is is also psychically sensitive, and that's where, I, assumedly, Nell's abilities come from. All the kids from. are a little bit sensitive. Except, ex- uh, I mean... Except Steven. Steve, I think Steve, um... Well, the reveal that Steven actually saw a ghost, I was like, oh, that was good. Oh, oh it was so awesome. I think, um, uh, what's it called? Did you ever see the movie Constantine? Like the... Of course. Okay. So of you... course. Yeah. So, like, so you remember, uh, so, um, Const- if you don't know, Constantine is basically, um, a live action movie adaptation of the Hellblazer comics uh starring Keanu Reeves and um like the main characters were twins and they were both psychically sensitive and they could and then but the the one the one sister the one sister who had the abilities all along but like through just convincing herself that it was all not real even though it was like then she lost the ability or the gift that's that's how I saw Steven. Like, he had the gift all along to see these ghosts, but since he was so, like, adamant about rationalizing stuff, like, he ended up, like, forcing himself to not see. Like, maybe, like, maybe it's, like, some sort of self-defense mechanism, too. Um, but, yeah. So, yeah, so the mom, Liv, um, she is very sensitive to psychic paranormal, uh, per- like paranormal, like activity, and she gets like these headaches, and over time she gets unhinged because um, uh, and and egged on by Poppy because she's um, she's become consumed. 
She's fucking poisoning her mind. Oh, yeah. And she she becomes consumed, like, oh, this world is going to eat our children. And I must protect them. I must keep them pure and innocent. So Liv is possessed to... To literally keep her children, at least the twins, because she feels like she's losing the twins. And here's how she plans on doing this. She goes to, quote-unquote, Aunt Janet's, and before... She leaves. Luke says, can Abigail sleep over? And she says, of course, whatever you want. And again, everyone just assumes it's an imaginary friend. And, of course, Nell is fine with it because Nell believes anything that Luke says anyway and vice versa. So when Liv comes back and says and sees Luke sleeping on the floor and the little girl in his bed, again, it's the same thing. She's been seeing a ghost this whole time. So to her... She, yeah, she's convinced that they're all in this dream that they have to wake up. So they go to this tea party, quote unquote, in the red room. And she poured rat poison. Into the tea. And I wondered why, and I wondered why when they were doing the basement, why he focused so much on the rat. Yeah, because there's so many shots of like the rat poison being. Yeah, I was like, why did they do that? And I, and I was so caught up in everything else that like, that's something that I would usually hold on to and I just didn't. Uh, and this was why she poured rat per- poison into the tea. And by the time the husband wakes up and busts through the door to take all the kids out, Abigail has drank her tea. Abigail is dying on the floor. And I'm like, oh my fucking God, she was a real kid. And then li- it takes Liv a-, a second to like, like to realize what actually happens. Um... Well, that well then we figure out why she had a cracked skull, why she had bruises on her. Because he pushed her off to get her away from the kids, and that's how she hit her head. That's why she was limping. Yeah, she blacked out for X amount of minutes, enough time for the dad to round up all the kids. And uh, this, and these poor kids, this entire the, the entire 22 years of their existence thought that their father did something terrible to their mom, and then isolated himself because he's like that they can't. I'm protecting them. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. He was literally protecting them because he didn't think they could handle it. Yeah, because their mom was trying to kill them. To, to save them. <laughs> How could you tell them that? They never would have believed them anyway because to them, their mom was just going a little nuts because of the house. They Steven was convinced that mental illness ran in the family and that was the whole spiel. This last episode was just... It was just... Oh, it was so... It was so much. And then... The cherry on top of all of this was that Liv, who we have seen with the dad this whole time, we learn was just how he saw her and how probably the kids saw her because that wasn't really her. The real her sort of died in that house and was left there because when he goes back to the house, she says, no, my babies are in there. I finally have them all. You took them away from me. I can't let them do that. And he's like, you're literally killing them. You have to open the door. And then he either... ODs on his heart meds or he has a heart attack after he gets them out because I saw the pills all over the floor so I think he had a heart attack before he could get his pill out how I saw it how I saw it was that um um he wanted he wanted well um I guess he wanted to make amends to Steve and you know the like because the Steve and the dad always had problems with each other so in this final act um oh also there was this there's complex where steve and the dad had like a unshaken relationship because the, steve always wanted to help 
had always wanted to be like in you know his dad's good graces and there's like this, this this one final ride where his dad and Steve are like taking on the house together uh and Steve learns the full truth um and after everything is more or less resolved uh because they save Luke um they got all the other kids out of the house um i think the dad wanted to appease the spirit of the house and especially live um cuz i think he the, the dad knew that the rest of his kids would be fine and they would still have each other so in the end i i read it as the dad intentionally killed himself so he could be with live and nell and like not have them become vengeful spirits um that's a, yeah so that's how i read it i could see that that's yeah okay i'll buy that but I thought, that, yeah, that was, like, the one thing that I didn't think was as clear. Because we saw, like, Steve and the dad talking to each other. And then we, the camera pans down. Then we see Steve's, or the dad's body on the railing. So, what... And he was like, thanks for not telling them. Yeah, yeah, so, like, did did the dad, like, when he took all the pills... Well, there was one shot where the dad took one pill... But did he actually take all the pills and the rest of the time? Maybe he kept... I think maybe he kept going. Yeah, and then the rest of the time was the, the, the Steve was with his dad's ghost. Well, because put it this way, he never got in the car with him. He's like, oh, we'll meet you there. And he was like, thanks for not telling them. I think also from his perspective, when he comes back from the funeral, none of his kids are particularly like pleased to see him. And they're all sort of blaming him in some capacity for what happened and I think he's like I've caused them enough pain I'm gonna right this wrong bring my family back together and then remove myself from them because they'll be fine as long as they have each other and once they know exactly what happened and they all find out Nell tells them Stephen gets gets the big boy version he gets that moment with his father that he always needed and I think that's also what I mean this whole show is fucking tragic Let's just call it like it is. It, it it was definitely tragic ending. Like not all the the players came out, you know, you know, happy and unscathed. Like there were casualties, but uh, the the end of the story is like a a voice error a voiceover narrative or of Steve like writing his second book, I guess, or a follow up book, and and it see and it shows it shows like. Like, Return to Hill yeah. House. and it shows, like, you know, like, most of the people who... Well, actually, yeah, p- the people who were left were... They, they were able to overcome, like, their childhood traumas. Well, this is also goes back to the little pin I had you put in the entity of Hill House. So, when... We're going to take that pin out now. When Steve was leaving, his father tells him a story about the Dudleys and how they made a pact... We're not going to tell anybody that your wife killed our daughter as long as you keep us on staff for us to take care of this house the way we always have. We want to be able to visit our daughter. She's here now. So that's exactly what they do. He keeps them on retainer. He keeps the house open, but the gates closed because they live within walking distance of the house. And I'm assuming over the course of their lives, the Dudleys have gone and visited their daughter this whole time and... 
they've grown old and you see Mr. Dudley bring his wife to the house and she dies there. And the, you, you don't only see Abigail, you see uh, Mrs. Dudley and her, her she, she was, she had a stillborn child, her first child, and, and now the baby is appearing as a ghost. So you have the Dudleys that are there. And I think this happens before Stephen goes back to the house. Um, because when Stephen leaves, you don't, you see what is the entity of Hill House, which isn't one entity. It's like multiple. It's like... It's a fuck ton of ghosts. And they're not all malevolent, though. That old lady was like, careful of this one, she lies. Yeah. And Liv was too poisoned at that point to listen. But it's all of them. They all have become this house in some shape or another. And I think that it's very person dependent as to who comes to these people and decides to talk to them, so to speak. Like, Liv was struggling with all of this. So Poppy was the one that sought her out. I think if she was struggling in a different way, maybe the old woman could have come and spoken to her and that could have done something, it could have achieved something else. I mean, I think, I think that that's what makes this so beautiful. All of them sort of make up the house, which means... I, would, I, was, I was wondering, like, my favorite ghost, the boulder hat guy, like, why was he stalking Luke? I mean, I guess, I mean, I guess uh, for a second, Luke... I think he was looking for his fucking hat, and then Luke was like, I want my big boy hat. I mean, he did get his hat, though. He, he, I, he, he walked in, he walked in, well, floated in to Luke's room and got the hat back. But then even though he got the hat back, he was still stalking Luke as an adult. Was he stalking him or was he like, this man gave me my... Or was he just high in his mind and just hallucinating? Or was he protecting him in a sense? He was clean. Oh, wait, no, he was clean. No, no, he was, he was still nine days clean. Yeah. Okay. I, I don't know. I really, truly, up until the end, thought that Abigail was a ghost. So I don't... Yeah, me too. I, I, totally, I totally thought she was a ghost, too. So this brings me to the theory I want to talk to you about that I read today. So there's a bunch of different articles that sort of break this down. So I just want to see what you think about it. There is a theory going around that each one of the crane kids is a representation of the five stages of grief. And at first I was just sort of like, that's a stretch. But then I watched them break down everybody. So... They say that Stephen is denial, which is stage one. Shirley is anger, which is stage two. Theo is bargaining, which is stage three, which I feel like was the stretchiest one out of all of them. Luke is depression, which is stage four. And Nell is stage five, which is acceptance. Theo's was a little bit of a stretch. So what they say about Theo was assigning Theo the stage. And again, like I said, any article that we reference, I'm going to post them in the show notes so you guys can come to your own conclusion. But according to this article, they say assigning Theo the stage of bargaining is a little murkier, but it still makes sense when you take into account her unique ability to innately see and feel things like the past and emotions, etc. When she touches objects or people, by using her supernatural gift, you could say Theo is bargaining for a better outcome for her and her family. In the case of Nell, for example, Theo begs both Hill House and the universe to give her an answer as to why Nell died after touching her sister's dead body and feeling a hollow, suffocating, unhappy emptiness. Okay, I... 
except for Theo. Theo's shaky. Yeah, but I that fits that tracks pretty well. I get it. I mean, she even says it, which is her not justification, but her I mean, it is a justification for her trying to go after Cheryl's husband. She's like, I didn't see him. I needed to feel something. It's her bargaining for all of the shitty decisions she's made in her life. Like, she took she took the quote-unquote blood money from Stephen's book. How does she justify taking it? She got her PhD. Sounds like a bargain to me. I, I mean, I didn't buy it at first. I saw the article title and I was like, I'll buy this shit for a second. But they do make some good points. So that was just bargaining. So hold on. Let's go. Let's go to denial for a second. And I think honestly, denial, I get Stevens was the most obvious in my opinion. The way he carries himself this whole time, he was absolutely in denial about the power of Hill House. I, I, for that reason, I, I, out of all the kids, I disliked Steven from the, from the get go. I think we're supposed to though. I know, but you, at the end, he redeemed himself as like, Steve, like, we know you're like a rational dude. You don't believe in the paranormal. You try to find like the ordinary and the extraordinary, but come on, believe your family a little bit. So anyway, rant over. (laughs) That was like a mini rant. Yeah. So Steven is in denial. Which, he even says that the thing that holds his whole family together is a string of mental illness that everybody has a little bit of, except him. And I'm like, alright dude, if everyone in your family has mental illness and struggles with something, odds are you probably do too. So either they're all right and they all experience something, or you're all mentally ill. Pick one. So, I don't even want to unpack that one because I feel like there's nothing to unpack. I feel like it's the most obvious out of all of them. Now, Shirley being anger... I think it's pretty straightforward. Shirley is the most difficult member of the Crane family, mostly due to her impossibly high standards for the rest of her siblings, despite having a few scandalous secrets of her own. Yes, she does. Her temper is short, and she never gives her brothers and sisters a chance to explain themselves. She's a natural fit for anger. I'll agree with that. It's a very high and mighty but repressed anger that bleeds out, and yeah, it's... Yes, she is wrath. So we did Theo, Luke, depression. This one should be relatively obvious. Luke's narrative throughout the haunting of Hill House is one of the most devastating thanks to his emotional bond with his twin sister, Nell, and his gut-wrenching struggle with drug addiction. When Nell dies, his recovery is threatened in a major way and his life all but spirals out of control. Of all the Crane siblings, Luke takes Nell's death the hardest and finds it the most difficult to cope. As he says during his speech at his funeral, at her funeral, He always felt like she was his big sister, even though he was born first. He also tearfully tells Nell's ghost, I don't know how to do this without you. Another very obvious one. But, I can't, I just, this is all the writing. I mean, it just, it, it really, like, pushes me more to want to read the book. Because there's just something so wonderful about all this. And lastly, we've come to Nell who is acceptance. Is anything sadder than Nell's story in the show? I'm still devastated by the episode that reveals her ghostly alter ego. In fact, it's in that same episode that we discover why Nell most embodies the stage of acceptance after her husband Arthur dies following a run-in with the bent neck lady. Oh, you reminded me of Arthur. No! 
Oh no! Oh my god. Nell loses her grip on reality. Her visions of the terrifying ghost become a near constant, as do her night terrors. By the time a full year has passed following Arthur's death, Nell has pretty much accepted that her fate will be eternally be bound with Hell House. She doesn't seem scared or surprised when she sees Olivia's ghost upon returning to the cursed estate. Actually, she's elated and embraces her stepmother. When her siblings later arrive at Hill House to investigate, she utters a heartbreaking but resigned statement about her life to convince her brothers and sisters they need to move on. I loved you completely, and you loved me the same. That's all. The rest is confetti. Oh, God. That speech. That final speech. We're like... I was, cry- I was crying. I like, was fucking... Like, I loved how... After everything that that poor girl went through, I was like... She... She was the best girl. She was the rock on which the family could, you know support themselves and she got them out she saved them all Nell saved the day good job internet we will cite you properly with MLA formatting or I don't know <laughs> APA Chicago Chicago style okay we've now reached the delirious part of our podcast because Chris is now talking cite about your sources. MLA style formatting I left all of that behind in college which is the last time I used it. This was our episode on The Haunting of Hill House. Um, I definitely want to do a follow-up with the book and the movie. Yeah, there's two movies. Um, one of them is really faithful to the book. And then the more recent one is a looser adaptation, if I remember reading it correctly. So we can unpack that and get into that at some point. Uh, in a... In a early in a later not earlier we don't go back in time or do we because this is hill house ah. i hope that netflix continues this trend that they have because this isn't the first like netflix original that you and i have talked about where we're like wow this was pr- something incredible to watch netflix I, I i i don't know how much money netflix made but they clearly have enough money to really to, to back to, to, they're back funding on like really weird exper- experimental projects. Um, um, Black Mirror is not one of them because that was first on BBC, but like Netflix then got then got Black Mirror starting in season three, and season three and four are just like god awful. Oh, no, I'm sorry, amazing. They're amazing. Cut that out, Ryan. I'm so tired. Got three and four are are amazing. Um, Double Men Cry Babies, like this, uh, not or. Castlevania. Oh, Castlevania is so good, though. So yeah, Netflix has a lot of money where they 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 throw they can like afford to throw around and experiment with really cool projects and bet on really avant garde auteur auteurs and you know really cool filmmakers and production teams. So I this is just another tip or another notch. Um, and how horror is still here to stay. I mean, I mean, horror anthologies are all a rage, you know, with Black Mirror and um, American Horror Story. Um, whether or not Hill House will become an anthology series or just like a, a sequel or a franchise, we will, we will see. But, um, yeah, Netflix, please get, get, give us more horror. Um, I know... I know there's like a couple of other stuff we were talking about. Like, there's another Netflix series called the like. Is it called The Haunting? I think it's just called The Haunting. Oh wait a minute! You mean you mean Haunted? Haunted. That's right. I'm gonna watch that at some point. I actually, 
Oh, so I just finished another Netflix. I don't know if it was a Netflix original, but it popped up like very randomly in my recommended for you section. So I just watched it. It was called Creeped Out. It was very, it was very weird, but like a good weird. Uh, I told Chris he should dress up as the curious for Halloween because it looks fun. Yeah, I have to dress up so many things for Halloween. Uh, like Sam from Trick or Treat and the Trickster from, uh, oh God, what was the name of the film? Brain Scan? Yes, Brain Scan. Wow, I am delirious. Yes. Um, yes, you are delirious, but it's okay. Um, but I, so Netflix has like a bunch of like little things that have been coming to life. I'm also now like a huge fan of the curious creations of Christine McConnell. Oh yeah, just spoopy baked goods yeah. cooking show, baking like, show. It's like, oh, it's so good. Netflix has a bunch of shit that's just there now. Well, I think it's it's part of um, I think it's officially called like Nef- Netflix and Kills. What? They can't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like it's like it's like a Netflix and Kills campaign where they're just a recent, a really, or it's either Netflix and Kills or Netflix and Thrills. One of those, one of those synonyms. But yeah, you mean like Hulu does Halloween instead of Halloween? Yeah, yes. it's like Netflix just being like, yeah, we're going hard this Halloween. So you know, what up? I fully accept it. On that note, this has been episode eighteen of Left for Dread: The Haunting of Hill House. Go watch it right now. It's nine episodes, 50 minutes each. It's 10 episodes. 10 episodes. I miscounted. <laughs> uh, it's very good. And um, please, please let us know what you thought um, about our favorite characters, our, our moments, our theories. Um, Ryan and I, uh, we, we're just so overwhelmed by the show. We, we, we've been talking about it for like the last week and um, we, we want to talk to you about it. So, uh, Ryan, where can people message us with their questions or their comments or, or and just anything about Hill House or any of the episodes? You can find us on uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Look us up at Left for Dread Pod or Left for Dread. We're there. You can find the show on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, um, and any other podcast player of your choice. Um, if any of those listed are not your pick of poison, uh, we will include the RSS feed in the show notes. So you can plug it into the Overcast or Acast or whatever whatever player that you enjoy, and you will never miss an episode. Um, this is part of our super hardcore marathon of episodes because it's 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 spooktember so we're we're churning out tons of episodes um in november we'll go back to our normal bi-weekly schedule but we have uh we, we we just we we just been hard at work in the studio uh watching movies and recording more content for you this month because this is our this is our aesthetic this is our month yeah, we tried super hard to bring you guys a lot of stuff this month. It has certainly been a lot for us. It's okay, but we love it. We love it. But we love it, so just don't forget to rate and review and subscribe. It really helps. Yes, yes. And uh, let us know, uh, especially, it's, it's important on all platforms, but let us know, especially if you're listening to us on iTunes, give us uh, a positive rating and a review and constructive feedback. Um, some stuff to look forward to, um, we still have to 
record our part two of body horror. Um, technically, we, we had to re-record it because I lost all my audio. But um, part okay. one of the ah, uh, part one body horror episode uh, is already out, where we reviewed uh, David Cronenberg's The Fly and American Mary by the Soska Twins. Um, so if you missed that, check that out. That was our last episode that came out. Um, may I will we'll discuss this in a little bit. Um, but uh, oh wow, last Thursday, was it last Thursday, Friday? Yeah, it was last Thursday. Yeah, yes, last Thursday I got to see I got to see uh the twenty eighteen Halloween movie the 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 sequels revamp. Oh my god, I enjoyed it so much. So hopefully we'll get to <laughs> Ryan. Ryan's like, oh, it's okay, Ryan. I won't throw it under the bus. We'll we'll cut it out. <laughs> uh, I I regrettably did not have time to see it next week. I was really disappointed in myself, but I am going to see it because I do really want to talk about it because I was so fucking excited for oh, this. We have so, so we're much. We're gonna to do an episode. I promise. Yep, we'll do. If not for September, it will definitely happen. I definitely want to see it again in theaters. Um, after doing like a, a double feature marathon, because it's been very long time since I've seen the first one. Um, I'm so. actually gonna watch the original, and then I'm yes. gonna go see the sequel. Yes. Uh, for those who don't know, uh, ho- just uh, Halloween, twenty eighteen, is a direct sequel to the first Halloween, um, and it also like retcons out all the other sequels. So it's like a yes! direct to the first and it takes place 40 years after and it's done very well and I'm not going to say any more because that'll be content for the next episode but okay, yes I'm so excited <laughs> uh, anyway just go go watch Hill House on Netflix it's so great um, and stay tuned for more episodes so woo anyway so I'm Chris and I'm Ryan and what do we do Ryan dangerous
Excellent. <laughs>
Excellent. <laughs>